If you have your Bibles, go with me to Galatians chapter 5, please. I want to tackle one more fruit of the Spirit. Our world is in desperate need of light. The light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our world is in desperate need of a tangible truth. A manifest, a visible Christian who has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and is practically living out what that looks like before the world. Now we might have a myriad of ideas of what a true, real Christian actually is and Paul, by the Holy Spirit, really clears it up for us. Because he tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, this is what somebody who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit looks like. This is what somebody who is under the dominion of the Holy Spirit behaves like. And it looks just like this in Galatians 5. He says in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I didn't notice in there anything really that smacked of an external behavior. To indicate that this individual is under the dominion of the Holy Spirit, what we just read was a listing of the fruit of the Spirit, a heart condition, an inner being showing out to the outside world. And this morning we settle on the word meekness. One wrote the shift in American culture from character to image, has turned vanity and pride into virtue. He went on to say pride has been redefined in American culture as a virtue. Which leads us to this summation, probably the least admired character and quality in all the United States of America and even globally is that of meekness. Yet Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus is teaching what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. What Jesus teaches turns natural thinking on its head. It runs counterintuitive to everything that we imagine happiness to be. Nine times in nine verses, Jesus uses the word blessed. That word blessed in there is fortunate or happy is a way we could communicate that. And Jesus is saying, here is how you can find true happiness. Here's an individual who is truly fortunate. And then he says things that stagger our mind. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Truly happy. Truly fortunate are those that are poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Truly fortunate, truly happy are they that mourn. Blessed, fortunate, truly happy are the meek. When you hear that, I know your mind goes like mine. Those individuals sound miserable. They don't sound fortunate. They don't sound happy. And yet Jesus says, blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. In the late 1600s, that's a long time ago, 
A commentator wrote about those beatitudes. The modern mind recoils against what Jesus was teaching. Can you fathom that he said that in the late 1600s? Here's what he wrote. Common sense dictates that people who are meek will suffer insult and abuse. Unable even to find some small corner where they can draw their breath. They're lambs among a pack of wolves. We know by nature, he said, that we must hunt with the hounds because to be a sheep is to risk becoming someone else's dinner. Have you ever felt more coerced into a fight than you do nowadays? Have you ever felt more cornered? Have you ever wondered more about what our reaction should be in the midst of a vile and violent world? Well, this morning we receive incredible instruction from Jesus And it runs counterintuitive to our thinking, be meek. Being meek is not something that we admire. In fact, we kind of carry a negative connotation toward it. Most modern dictionaries talk about meekness in the sense of deficient in courage. One who lacks spirit. One who lacks a backbone. In Webster's Dictionary, look up meekness and he says it is soft. Pliant. Here's a word I never want to be spoken of me. Supple. When I hear meek and then I read soft, pliant, supple, I think that's not something that I am going after. Mild of temper, not easily provoked, submissive, lacking courage. We read those definitions, we hear that term, and we get the idea that it is weakness, virtually being spineless. No fight in us at all. The Greek term, however, in Scripture is incredibly colorful. It is very instructive. It is many-layered. A Greek would use the term meekness when talking about a wild animal that had been domesticated. When in its wild state it could rend you in pieces, now it is able to be led about. It is a meek animal. It would be of a fire in the fireplace. That can be warm and cozy and cast a beautiful light, yet outside of the fireplace and out of control can destroy a home and can burn thousands of acres. Of a wind, a soft breeze on a hot day can feel really good. Too much wind, and we might call it a hurricane or a tornado, you begin to see what the Bible is talking about with meekness. I think the best way to speak it is strength under control. Power under control. Meekness is not weakness. In fact, it takes great strength. Solomon really did say in Proverbs 16.32, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. The mighty men of David could slay other human beings. Yet Solomon says, if you can be slow to anger, if you can control your temper, you're actually stronger than a mighty man. And yet really weak when you capitulate to give in to your temper. He goes on in that verse and says, and he that ruleth his spirit is mightier, is better than one that taketh a city. Meekness is having the ability to get back, yet resisting the urge to do so. 
Meekness is not weakness. The difference between a weak person and a meek person is a weak person has no recourse. A meek person has every opportunity to get even and the strength to do so, yet resists the urge, chooses not to. Meekness is dying to me. Meekness is being finished with me. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. This is Jesus describing himself. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Every one of the fruits of the Spirit, as we have studied it, we have tried to communicate what the Bible is telling us. And then we begin with God to understand every one of these is sourced in God, as it were. It is the nature of God being visible in our lives. Though we've been told there's a thousand boxes that we've got to check if we're really going to be Christian, what we understand from Scripture is if we're really going to be like Christ, then we're going to be meek because Jesus said of himself, I am meek. Christians who are growing in meekness are balanced people. They don't overreact and they don't underreact. Well, the question then for us is practically speaking, how do I walk then in meekness? How do I show out this meekness? I'll say this is not an exhaustive list. This is merely a study. All of it is able to be established within Scripture. First, if we're going to walk in meekness, here's what it will require. Be humble. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly. He connected the two, meekness and humility. He already said in Matthew 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Inheriting the earth and being selfless don't seem to go together, but remember, this is about dying to self. In dying to self, we find true happiness. When we are finished with ourselves, we're free then to revel in our position in Christ. When we rest in our position in Christ and we recognize that we are sealed for all of eternity, it helps us when we are stepped on in this life, when we are kicked around in this life, to maintain an eternal perspective that one day we will rule and reign with Him. If we're finished with ourselves now, it means it is so because we are full and complete in Him. He is where we find our value. Now Paul gives us an interesting snapshot of what humble meekness looks like. Here's what he says in Ephesians 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Here's how you walk. With all lowliness and meekness. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't show you those are tied together again. Lowliness and meekness connected. What does it look like? With long-suffering and forbearing one another in love. I love it when the Bible speaks in blunt terms. When the Bible comes right down into the real world, and in effect what the Apostle Paul is saying is, if you are humble and you are meek, here's what it means. You will put up with each other. You won't get tired of each other. You will endure one another. The Bible's just super honest in this matter. We have the idea that the church is some kind of utopia where everybody just thinks the same. It's not that way at all. 
We have this idea that everybody in the church is pulling the same direction. Everybody has an idea. Everybody has an opinion. And all of us imagine that we're really the right ones. And yet God in his infinite wisdom cobbles together this group of people from all varying degrees of background and we can only forbear one another and put up with one another if we are humble, if we are first and foremost done with ourselves. My wife and I have entered into phase one of empty nesting. Phase one of empty nesting means our children are still very much on the payroll. And it means they still come home. Now, we love when they come home. We like our kids. We like to be around our kids. But some things change when our kids come home. We have been reintroduced to the idea of autonomous movement within our household when the kids are both housed in another place. Eat when we want. She doesn't have to make three meals a night to satiate all the appetites in the house. She makes whatever she wants. I'm fine with it. What do you want me to do? We can go to bed, listen, whenever we want. It's incredible. I have complete access to my driveway. I can make wide turns into my garage. It's amazing. It's spring break time. The kids are home. And when the kids are home, there's two more cars in our driveway. And when I come in, I think yesterday was an 87.3 point turn to get into my garage. Now hold on for a second. In me who's a creature of habit, and in me, who is pretty controlled by what I want, and in me, who doesn't like to be put out in the least degree, I could go fuming and storming into the house, and I could say, get out of here and go back to school and pay for your own stuff, and I mean half of that. But you revel in the fact that your kids are there, and that's what God gave you, and this is what this life is now. Real world means sometimes we got to move around each other's cars. Real world means sometimes we're all using the same space. Real world stuff means sometimes we give up a little autonomy. Sometimes we surrender a little of what we want. Sometimes it might not look like we want it to look or taste like we want it. We might not always get our way down to every jot and tittle. And that's okay if we're meek. But you want to reveal that you're not meek? Demand your way. Be right in every instance, all the time. Never, the Bible says, get fed up with each other. I love this illustration. I read a pastor was talking about a church split. Church split was so serious that each side filed a lawsuit to dispossess the other side from the church, which completely disregards the biblical injunction not to go to the courts of law, but rather to have the church handle it. Civil court actually threw the case out. So they went to a higher, quote-unquote, church court of religious or spiritual people to mediate it, which is probably where it should have begun in the first place. Having heard all the arguments, the higher, quote-unquote, church court found one side was in the right, and they caused the other side to dispossess the church building and everything, and they went down the road, and they started another church, and they did their own thing. In the midst of the court proceedings... Here is what was found to be the root cause of the impasse in the church. There was a church dinner. No doubt it was held in a multi-purpose room. (laughs) When a senior saint received a smaller slice of ham than a child seated next to them. And the impasse began. 
What I could actually say is the impasse began when there was an absence of long-suffering and forbearing of one another, and somebody didn't get as big a piece of ham as they thought they deserved. You say, how stupid, how foolish is that? It's all over the place. It's just in our world, it's not ham. But honestly, it's as petty. We get sideways over the silliest of things. We demand our rights and our way. We want everybody to concur with us and agree with us. And honestly, if I could be honest with you, if you had our view of you, nobody wants to be like you. We've all taken a good long look. No one wants it. Just do your thing and be happy. And in the real world, we forbear and we put up with one another because we're meek and we're dying to self. Lowliness and meekness go hand in hand. If you are ever going to walk in meekness, it will require that you are humble. But not only humble, you'll have to be teachable. James wrote this in James 1.19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. And before you women get a leg up on us, it's a generic term. Every human, this isn't just for your husband to be slow to speak and listen more. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Let's seize this phrase. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. He says pointedly, be swift to hear and slow to speak. James has two people in mind. He has one person in mind who is very, very slow to listen. Very swift to speak, very slow to listen, given to anger. He has another person in mind who is slow to speak, quick to listen, patient, forbearing, slow in anger. And here's what it hinges on. Receive the engrafted word with meekness. This is about teachability. What he is communicating is when you are confronted with the truth, rather than defending yourself and degrading the truth or the messenger of the truth, acquiesce with meekness, receive the engrafted word. You don't have to be resistant. You don't have to be hostile in your spirit when you are being taught the word of truth. When controlled or confronted by the word of God in meekness, don't defend yourself. But rather, in meekness, receive it, accept it, don't argue with it, honor it as the word of God, don't try to twist it and conform it to make you feel like now it aligns with your thinking, align your thinking with what it says. Meekness means you're ready to listen and ready to learn, but, but, but be ready to listen and ready to learn. But when I grew up, this is what they said, is it in here? And when it's in here, change to what it says, be teachable. Not only do you have to be humble and teachable, I love this, be reasonable. Be reasonable. We live in an unreasonable world. I have one of those guilty pleasures that I like to see people kind of explode in public. You know, like they're waiting in line at the store and somebody cuts them off and they just let them have it and somebody's standing in the background filming it and I think, I enjoy watching this. I enjoy it. Part of it is probably a twisted, like, I wish I could do that. I, how many people do you want to just yell at in public? We live in an unreasonable world. It creeps into the church. It creeps into our marriages. Be reasonable. Be reasonable. Pastor, you've got to make that one stand up to Scripture. All right, I'm going to work on it. Here we go. James 3. 
Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Here's what he's asking. Do you want to know who's really wise? Do you want to see an indicator of who really has knowledge among you? Here it is. He will show it out of a good conversation. That's good behavior. His works with meekness of wisdom. That's a very intriguing phrase. Here's how you will know that somebody is actually wise. Here's how you will know that somebody is endued with knowledge. They will show it. It will be manifest by their works in meekness of wisdom. Then he's going to go on and he's going to explain this. Here's what he says in verse 14. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom... Bitter envying and strife indicates this wisdom is not from above, but it's earthly, sensual, devilish. Why? For where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. Here he goes in verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now let me summarize this as quickly as I can. Be reasonable. Someone who is wise is meek. Because just like meekness and humility are tied together in Scripture, so are wisdom and meekness. If someone is truly wise, then they are truly meek. If someone is truly meek, then they are truly wise. And if you want to know who's truly wise, they will show it to you in their meekness. And what they won't be is full of envy and strife. They won't be conflict-driven. They won't be loud mouths. They won't be vocal. They won't be shouting you down, not demanding their rights, not forcing their will, pushing their weight around. Rather, he says, they will be first pure. Then he says, they will be peaceable. Peaceable. Intriguing. You'll understand that as peace-loving. Peaceable. One Greek scholar said, this does not mean that you tolerate sin to keep the peace, but what it indicates is this person, even though they are standing up against sin, hungers for peace, yearning to heal all divisions by wise counsel. If you want to see someone who is actually wise, you will note that they are meek, and in order to show their meekness, you'll find that they're peaceable people. Well, you just can't ever find peace with that guy. He's not wise. He's not meek. He's not peaceable. He then says he would be gentle, yielding their right of way to someone else. Not demanding rights, yielding rights. Easy to be entreated. Easy to work with. Open to reason. Not defensive or angry. Agreeable. Open to reason and easy to work with. Does that describe you? Easy to work with. Yeah, I'm real easy to work with if you do what I want. If you do it my way. I wonder what your coworkers would think of you. Easy to work with. Actually uh, kind of a brassy jerk. Actually kind of a loud mouth. Actually kind of always demanding their way and pushing their weight around. Actually always smarmy and snarky and salty. That's what they are. Well then you're not revealing that you're wise. Because you're not showing out meekness. Because meekness is always shown in that it is reasonable. Full of mercy and good works. Good fruits. If we're not full of mercy, we're not wise. If we're not wise, we are not meek. James ties wisdom to meekness and meekness to action. 
If I'm going to walk in meekness and be like Jesus, I'll be humble, I'll be teachable, I'll be reasonable, and I'll be restorative. The Apostle Paul was writing in Galatians chapter 6. I've heard this verse used a lot, and in studying this out, I've understood more about it. He says this, brethren, he's talking to the church now, believers. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Now what does the spirit of meekness indicate that I'm considering myself lest I would also be tempted and fall like that man fell? What he's saying is so striking. Brethren of the church, are you restorative or are you accusatory? Because if you are accusatory, you are not revealing meekness. If you are restorative, you are revealing that you are meek. Now he says, if a man be overtaken in a fault, that indicates is somebody is quickly overtaken. This is not somebody who is plowing ahead in a path of sin against counsel and against better judgment and against the word of God, habitually creating the space where they are dealing with the consequences of their own sin. But rather, someone who is overtaken, this gets them. When someone else sins like that, do you find that you're accusatory? Or do you find that you are restorative? Because the accusatory person is caustic. He pretends he could never commit such a sin. But the meek person realizes all the time that but by the grace of God, realizes all the time that they themselves are not immune from falling and have an attitude of meekness to restore the one that has fallen. That's what the atmosphere of a church and a marriage and a home and a workplace should be like if a believer is manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. I think greatly religious groups have come up with checklists that make you appear to be Christian because it's easier to modify my external behavior to make you think I'm a good Christian than for me to actually manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Because the manifest fruit of the Spirit means I changed my heart. And what I've just learned this morning is much of what I naturally feel is not what God actually wants. And he started it in the Sermon on the Mount, when everything he said about being truly fortunate and truly happy was counterintuitive. And Jesus said, I'm meek, you be meek. Under the dominion of the Holy Spirit, be humble, be teachable, be reasonable, be restorative. That's what meekness looks like. Would you please for just a moment bow your heads with me? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.